0: All right, we are in uh, just week two of a newer sermon series uh, going through the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or you have a device you want to swipe there, feel free to do that. We're going to be in chapter one. Uh, Just a quick little recap from last week. Uh, We looked at the first 18 verses, which is known as the prologue, or it's kind of an introduction for where we're going to be throughout the book of John, Uh, but last week we talked about some glimpses of Jesus uh, that we got in those 18 verses, and one of those is the idea that Jesus was there in the beginning, that he was there being part, he was part of creation, and so when we think about this, uh, we understand that there's something very unique about him. It's not just that Jesus is a man, but he's also God. And we talked about how Jesus is a one-of-a-kind son or a one-of-a-kind God. And this sets him apart from all other religious leaders that we would encounter in, in any other religion. And then we talked about Jesus being the Word. That he is God's Word personified. And, and so this whole idea of Word has tons of significance throughout Uh, the Bible, but also throughout just Christianity in general, and the the fact that Christianity is a word-based religion. People are drawn to Jesus through the proclamation of the gospel, through good news of Jesus being spoken, that there's something mysterious, that people are drawn to Jesus in amazing ways. And then we talked about Jesus being the true light, the fact that he has entered a dark world. It's dark because it's marred and fractured by sin and he has entered it and his glorious light overwhelms and drives out the darkness. So today we're going to be in chapter one still and we're going to look at verses 19 through 28. Uh, So you can follow along with your Bible or device, or if you don't have either of those, you can follow along in the screen behind me. John 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? Elijah. Let's begin in verse 19 and this phrase, and this is the testimony of John. This is the testimony of John. So if we go back to verse 6, what we talked about last week, it talked about John the Baptist being a man who was sent from God. So he was a man sent from God. So when we think about his testimony, the things that he's going to say, the things he's going to attest to, a testimony is essentially a formal statement. Okay, And oftentimes it includes evidence or proof. So when we think about the testimony of John the Baptist, we should get a sense that he is sent from God. Uh, His testimony should jive with what we learned about Jesus last week and the fact that Jesus is full of glory, that Jesus is the true light, that he is the word personified. And so when we hear from John, what we should hear is, is someone who is pointing to someone greater than himself. He should not be making much of himself because he is a man sent from God. So it gets a little confusing at times because we're talking about John the Baptist, uh, but he's not the same individual who wrote the Gospel of John. So we have John the author, we have John the Baptist. So we're going to call John the Baptist Johnny B. today just for our purposes, okay? So, So Johnny B., he's viewed as acting authoritatively, okay? So he's, his message that he's rep, uh, preaching was one of repentance, which basically means for someone to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus. That's what he was telling people. So he's preaching repentance, he's baptizing people, and he's, uh, as he's doing these things, people are listening to him. They're following him. And so there's these relig- religious leaders uh, They feel the need to check him out because he's getting a following at some level. He has some influence. And so uh, the Jews, now throughout John you'll notice that whenever the Jews, that phrase is used, it's almost always a negative thing. Okay, it's people who are in opposition to Jesus at some level. And so the Jews send priests and Levites. Now the priests and Levites, um, they were really concerned with purity laws, Uh, Some people called them like the temple police, and so they wanted to make sure worship was being done properly They wanted to make sure all the rules and the laws were being followed down to a T And, And these individuals the priests and the Levites were being sent by the Pharisees Now the Pharisees also have a reputation that they were people who esteemed the law they they held the law in high regard they wanted to make sure the law was followed and this is how they would describe and talk about what it means to obey god is you follow the laws okay so there this is very distinctive for them so what's going on here is not just merely surveillance that these priests and levites are doing they're not just coming to hear what john has to say and and then bring the report back that, In some level, they're being sent because they have some street cred, right? They're heavy hitters at some level, and they want John the Baptist to feel a little press here, to understand that now these individuals are taking an interest, and he better be up to snuff at some level. He he better be able to measure up. He better be able to follow the law. And so these individuals are going to come, and they're going to ask tough questions of Johnny B. So they ask this question, who are you? Who are you? based on what Johnny B. is teaching, the things, the things that he is telling uh, people, they have three guesses. The first is that of the Christ, or we could say the Messiah. Now this is the most sought after individual throughout the history of Israel. He's been anticipated for hundreds and hundreds of years. He's viewed as being Israel's savior. But part of the issue here is that people viewed Israel's Savior coming in different ways. So some people expected a priest, someone who would be uh, elevated within the temple, and so he would hold that position as priest. Others thought that he would come as, as a strong military leader and he was going to overpower all of their enemies. And there were other varieties as well of people, what they expected the Messiah to come. But they asked John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? And he says no. And they ask him then, are you Elijah? Now Elijah is an Old Testament prophet. He never died uh, and he was expected to return in the end times to help usher in this idea of restoring all things. So Elijah was expected to come back in those end times. So they're wondering, are you Elijah? Are you the one who is expected to come in that regard in, in terms of this prophet and then also they ask are you the prophet which is a little confusing but this is someone that Moses talked about and he predicted that there would be another prophet there's not tons of speci- specificity around this individual but it was another end time figure who held uh, special status at some level now the thing with Johnny B here is that he's pretty comfortable in his skin He's not trying to impress these people in any way. And so he just flatly says, no, I'm none of these guys. And I love the fact that he doesn't latch on to this stuff, right? And he's like, oh, they think that I'm one of these guys. I mean, if we think about our context today, in our culture, oftentimes we would say, if he would attach himself to these people, or, or maybe if he'd write a book, and on, on the book cover you would say, thought to be this important individual, whoever it might be, like slap a logo on, like you could sell some stuff, he could make some money, or, or just think about the people that he could sway, that he could help convert at some level if only he would identify as one of these people or as close to one of these people. But he doesn't do it. it does, we don't get the sense in any way that he's striving for recognition. He's just comfortable being this no-name hillbilly that he is. And I, I mean... This is what he is. He, he eats grasshoppers, right? He's, he's just a strange dude at some level. And I'll be honest, I feel like I can cap on small-town folk because I grew up in a town of 306 people, okay? So I'm just a hick. I'm just talking about my peeps, right? They're my people, so I'm just talking about them in the way that we really are. But he's not striving for recognition. M- my wife's grandpa, he always had this saying. Uh, he, he would say, uh, if you have to tell someone how good you are, or how impressive you are, you're probably not that good. You're probably not that impressive. And I love this about uh, this picture of John the Baptist that we get here. He doesn't feel the need to validate himself, to make himself something by saying that he is this or that. He just says, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. Now, there's something really interesting going on here. at least I think it's interesting, so I'm going to I'm going to share it with you guys. John the Baptist is clearly saying here, I am not any of those people. But if you read the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find that Jesus and others had other things to say about John that that almost seems to contradict what he's saying. So we're going to read a couple of these things. Luke 1.17 says, This is an angel who appears to John the Baptist's father, whose name is Zechariah. So this angel appears to Zechariah and he says this, and he, being Zechariah's son or John the Baptist, will go before him, which is Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. And then Matthew eleven fourteen. this is Jesus talking about John the Baptist. He says, he is Elijah who is to come. And then Matthew 17, 12, this is again Jesus talking about John the Baptist. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. So what's going on here? Is the Bible contradicting itself? And, and some people would look at that and say, yes, just dismiss all of it, right? This, this is contradic- contradicting itself. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But what's going on here? is that John the Baptist is a type of Elijah. So typology is something that happens throughout the Bible. There's someone who comes before someone else. And we see this, Moses, being talked about in, in, in reference to Jesus, that Jesus is the greater Moses, or he is the true king of Israel. So David is thought to be the greatest king in the history of Israel, but he's pointing forward. He's pulling the story forward. He's a type, foreshadowing the ultimate one, which is Jesus. And so what's going on here is John the Baptist is a type of Elijah. Yeah, they're both scraggly dudes. They've got these interesting diets at some level, and and a true Minnesotan would describe these guys as being interesting and what they're really thinking inside of themselves, these guys are whack jobs. Like they are just crazy. But this is how we this is how we roll in Minnesota. We don't really say it, we just say interesting. We just throw that word around because it, it glosses over what what the truth really is. But they're interesting dudes. And and one other thing, a big thing that they have in common is that they both come to preach repentance. They both come to preach repentance to call God's people back to himself. But here's the thing, even though he's a type of Elijah, John the Baptist doesn't know it. He doesn't know that's who he is. But John, not fully knowing what's happening here, doesn't delegitimize what he says in any way. This happens throughout the Old Testament with prophets. They repeatedly don't know fully the fulfillment that's going to come with what they are saying. We're going to see this in in a little bit when we talk about uh, how John the Baptist is quoting Isaiah. Isaiah did not see fully how what he said in his time would be fulfilled at a later date. So we'll, we'll cover that in just a minute. But a couple things here that I want to touch on that we can, we can pull out of this uh, dynamic that's going on. So one thing we see here is this reality that knowledge does not equate to belief. Knowledge does not equate to belief. Now, I would be the first to tell you that knowledge and belief oftentimes work together. They complement each other. And yet, knowledge is not the same thing as belief. For Christians, the call is not to accumulate as much knowledge about God as possible. That's not the call for us, though that is a good thing. We want to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is, but we do not want to stop there because that does not change our hearts. That deals with this, and this is the this 18 inches right here from head to heart is the furthest 18 inches anything can travel. That's the hardest 18 inches anything can travel to go from your head to your heart, for your heart to actually be gripped by these truths and to be changed by them. So John's lack of knowledge here doesn't mitigate his trust in God. He is believing in Jesus. He doesn't know everything, and for us this should be greatly encouraging. Greatly freeing for us because none of us will never sufficiently know Jesus in the way that we need to to save ourselves. We won't. And yet We can trust Jesus in such a way that we can be saved, not knowing everything, but still believing in the ways that Jesus reveals himself to us. We believe him on those terms. And then secondly here, we get this picture of God, that he is working and accomplishing things in ways that that aren't known to us. They aren't seen to us at least not completely clearly. We talked last week about how the darkness at times can symbolize how we don't clearly see everything, and, and the darkness has these bad connotations attached to it. But on the other side of this, there's this reality that there's things that we don't know, good things that we don't know, and Jesus still works. God is still moving and shaping and accomplishing His glory. He's still pulling the story forward, even though we lack, even though we don't possess everything that we might think we need. In the midst of our lack, there is grace. In the midst of our lack, there is grace. And what we all need to hear in this promise is that it does not depend on us. It does not depend on us. It depends on Jesus. Whether it's salvation, whether it's getting through this day, what Jesus wants for you to know is that you don't need to carry that yoke, that burden. It's on him. And that's why he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. Cast your cares upon him because it's not on your shoulders. He wants to take that upon himself. Okay, so these religious leaders, they ask these question, this question of John um, and he, he just says no, and, and these guys are like, well, uh, this doesn't really help us. We've got people who want a better answer than that, and so they're like, who are you? Like, actually, we need your help. Come on, give us a little more because that's not going to be a sufficient answer. And so, uh, john the baptist in verse 23 he begins it says i am now throughout john jesus has eight kind of mountaintop statements where he says i am and then he's going to use oftentimes kind of a natural description to describe himself i'm the bread of life i am the way the truth and the life Uh, so he and i'm the light of the world so he's he's going to make these statements and they're oftentimes mountaintop statements uh, throughout John. And so it's almost like John the Baptist is playing here when he says, I am, not I am. He doesn't say that, but it's almost like he's pushing forward to Jesus, the one who will make all of these I am statements, but also saying, I am not, the I am, which is one of the ways in which Jesus describes himself as the I am. So he goes on to say, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, makes straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. So two things I want to focus in on here and spend our time on, the theme of wilderness as well as the prophet Isaiah. So first of all, uh, wilderness. So one of the main um, ways by which uh, we should think about this whole idea of wilderness pertains to one of the most significant events in the Old Testament, and, and that is the Exodus. So God's people were enslaved in Egypt, and God comes to them, and he comes to rescue them from their slavery. And this is what he does. So he takes his people out of slavery in Egypt, and he is going to lead them to the Promised Land, but his people disobey And their disobedience sends them wandering in the wilderness for the next 40 years. Now, if you follow that story, those 40 years, that wilderness is a place that is marked by both death and destruction. And and this is a big idea that we should get when we think about wilderness. We should think about a wasteland. We should think about death that's part of what's being communicated here now john the baptist says that he's the voice of one crying out in the wilderness and he quotes isaiah as he says this says this which is isaiah 43 a voice cries in the wilderness that's what isaiah said in uh, chapter 40 verse 3 of isaiah so isaiah in this context he's writing to israel as they will be in exile in babylon so when he's writing this, he's writing to something that will happen in a couple hundred years, okay? And so he is telling those who have been exiled in Babylon, who have been driven out of the promised land, he, he's writing to them. And, he is, and so he's addressing these people who are in these, this hopeless situation, who see death all around. Them. They've had many of their family members die. They Their their land has been taken away from them, and it is a bleak picture for them. Now, interestingly, when God called Isaiah to be a prophet, this was his sales pitch to him. He said, go and preach to people who will not listen to you. Go and show people things that they will not see, things that they will not perceive. I mean, it's pretty much a hopeless job right? Almost as though it seems, it seems as though it's set up for failure. So I don't know, maybe some of you really dislike your job. Maybe you hate your job, but it it maybe isn't that bad, where it's just hopeless from the get-go. So Isaiah asks God, when God gives him this uh, command, he says, how long? How long do I have to do this? And God replies, until cities lie waste, and the land is a desolate waste. Essentially, God says, preach until the land experiences total death, until it is a barren wasteland, until it is a, wa- a wilderness. And so, I don't know anybody who'd really jump at that opportunity. It doesn't seem like a great promotion, but Isaiah does it, and he goes after it. And the wilderness, that same idea that isaiah ventured into that he preached about this is where we find john the baptist preaching quoting isaiah as well and john the baptist says in the same way that isaiah did make straight the way of the lord so isaiah when he initially said this he was saying that valleys needed to be raised up, that mountains needed to be brought low, that curves needed to be straightened so that God's people, when he rescued them from Babylon, that they they would be accommodated with a smooth road back home, that they would be greeted and welcomed in this great way, though they have suffered, that they would be accommodated in their return to God's promised land for them. So John the Baptist, what he's saying here is Isaiah prophesied that God would rescue his beloved nation out of physical exile in Babylon. He would bring them back to the promised land, but in a greater way, John the Baptist is saying, I am pointing to a greater rescue from exile. God is going to rescue his people from Ultimate exile, from spiritual exile. So the straightened way that Isaiah talked about, and now John the Baptist is talking about, the straightened way out of death, out of a spiritual wasteland, out of exile, is Jesus. And that is what John the Baptist is pointing to. So Isaiah prophesied regarding a Babylonian exile, but he didn't fully see the greater fulfillment how this would be fulfilled through John the Baptist and ultimately through Jesus. But now we're given John the Baptist in the story, and he is here to say that God's salvation is here. What Isaiah prophesied is now going to be fulfilled. The time is now. The promised one has come. Escape the wilderness, the barren wasteland that is your spiritual exile, escape that by trusting in Jesus. Okay, so then John goes on to say, John the Baptist, to say that he isn't even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. Now in this culture in the first century, Untying someone's sandals, washing someone's feet was one of the lowliest jobs in that culture. So if you think about a teacher-student relationship, students were required to do everything a teacher asked except for this, except for untying their sandals, except for washing their feet. And not even all slaves were required to do this. This job was reserved for the lowest of slaves. And so what John the Baptist is saying here is that the one who comes after me is so powerful, so wonderful that I don't deserve to do the lowliest of his jobs. I don't deserve to do that. And in this image we're reminded of the greatness of Jesus, the King of Kings, who washes the feet of his disciples who does the dirtiest, ugliest job which foreshadows the cross, which is an even dirtier and uglier and more brutal job than washing someone's feet. So you know why John goes into the wilderness to preach to many people who might not listen to him? It's because he's seen Jesus' glory. He's seen him to be something that John himself needs. And he has trusted in Jesus. And he's compelled to go and to do. So when we, when we see Jesus, I mean when we really see him for who he is and what he has done, When we see the beauty and the power of the gospel, it compels confounding things. Like John the Baptist seems privileged to preach to a people who mostly won't listen to him. He seems to be excited to do a job many of us would probably resent. And he just continually points people to Jesus. He pours his life out. He calls people to turn from their sin and turn towards jesus so we look at john the baptist we look at the whole of his life and though we're not looking at the whole of his life this morning but if we look at him and we ask who are you we'd have to conclude that he's a servant of jesus nothing fancier nothing more spectacular he's a servant of jesus his identity is wrapped up in Jesus. And he would tell these religious leaders: define me however you want, but I am a servant of Jesus. And so for us, as we read this, as we hear this about John the Baptist, it begs a question for all of us: Who are you? Who or what? Defines you? What satisfies you? See, it's one thing to say, like John, I am not the Christ. But it's a completely different story for us to live as though we are not the Christ. To set aside our desires, to give up our preferences, to live and love sacrificially, to speak gracious truth. To others, here's the reality. Why'd you get mad this week? I'm assuming all of us, at some point, were annoyed, we're frustrated, we're mad. Why? Because someone imposed something upon our kingdom, we couldn't control things in the way that Jesus can. See, it's one thing to say I am not the Christ, but it's a total different story to live as though I am not the Christ. Or maybe you read something on Facebook and you just mocked that person in your mind. Why is that? It's because it's extremely difficult to live as though we are not the christ i'd say for myself i find it much easier to tell my wife i love you to verbally affirm that than to love her in meaningful sacrificial ways like giving her a 20 minute back rub it's so much easier for me to just say those words but to love her in sacrificial ways that are meaningful to her, not so much to me, but to her. It's a total different story. We can say, I am not the Christ, but to live as though we are not the Christ is a completely different story. So, who are you? Who are you? What would your roommate say? What would your spouse say? What would your children say? Uh, What would your parents say about you? Who are you? How do you feel about being a servant of Jesus who's consigned to do the dirty work? Is that enough? Will you be a voice that cries out in the wilderness, even if it means being mocked at some point in time? Is it enough to live A solid, unspectacular life to serve those around you, to serve your enemies? Who are you when you're with other Christians? Who are you when you're with non Christians? Are you the same person? Who are you when your heart is exploding with joy or breaking with grief? What is it that you're chasing after? Is Jesus enough? Are you defined by Jesus? Are you seeking to define yourself by someone or something else? Are you wanting others to define you? Jesus wants all of us. Not when it's convenient, not when it's, easy to give him parts of us he wants all of us he wants to define all parts of who we are now if we look at john the baptist i think it's easy to look at him in these verses that we're looking at today and to marvel at his strong faith it's impressive and it'd be easy for us to walk away saying man i want to be like john I just want to replicate him in some way. The call for us is not to trust in John, but to trust in Jesus. And here's why. To give a little context to John the Baptist's life, if you would go to Luke chapter 7, you don't need to turn there, but Johnny B. sent some of his followers to Jesus, and he wanted them to ask Jesus this question. And remember, this is after John the Baptist has heard many things. He's seen many things. He's done many things for or on behalf of Jesus. And he asks this, he has his uh, followers ask this question of Jesus Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we be looking for someone else? This is why we don't trust in John the Baptist, because he had his days too. And if it isn't today, our stroll through the wilderness is coming. It's coming. And Jesus wants you to know that he is the one who is sufficient, that he is the one who will walk with you through the wilderness, and ultimately he is the one who will deliver you Out of the wilderness. Maybe we don't have all of our questions answered about God. Maybe we don't have all the knowledge we would like to possess like John the Baptist. He didn't know it all. Our faith might seem seem feeble. The darkness around us might be stifling. But here's the reality it's not about us, it's not about you. It's about Jesus and when we find ourselves in the wilderness yearning for the promised land Jesus is the promised land that we seek he is the one that we need to run to so the call for all of us is to trust in him to see Jesus for who he is and what he has done to cast ourselves upon him let's pray jesus thank you for reminders throughout your word that we can see the weakness of others and we can identify with that because we are weak we are insufficient in and of ourselves and yet the same person who is weak at times that you use them You graciously use them to advance your gospel, the good news about yourself. And so God, I pray, not that we would strive for that, that we would be able to count our blessings, that we would be able to rejoice in the fact that you would use sinners, such as each of us, if we would trust you. And God, for us to understand also that in the midst of our wilderness, whatever it might be today, whatever it might be this week or next week and coming weeks or months or years, that you are the promised land that we yearn for. So help us to look to you for deliverance, not the quick fix, not the things that, others or this world might offer to us but to you and and for us as a community jesus help us to keep giving you to each other to reminding to be reminding each other that you are our promised land you are the one that we yearn for you are the one who will satisfy us help us to give good news to give gospel to each other because it is there that we will find joy. We will find satisfaction. So God, as we go into this week, help us to resonate with this reality that we are servants of Jesus. And for those of us who are not there, God, help us to hear this invitation that we could be considered called your children that you would claim us despite all the junk and the trash that has been our life, that that you would delight in calling us your children. In your great name I pray, amen. If any of you would like to uh, take the Lord's